Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. Thank you everybody for tuning in and sending in your donations. I really appreciate it. And inshallah, this podcast will only grow from here. Today, we have a very special guest, one who I think needs more recognition within our community, inshallah. But it's Brother Zirar Ali. And just a quick biography about him is he's a writer and photographer based in London who has spent the past decade traveling the East from North Africa, Egypt, Hejaz, to the lands of Khorasan. His work reflects a vision of cultural and identity revivalism where the might and beauty of Islam can be rediscovered and shared. He is currently working on a modern English translation of poetry by the poet and philosopher Muhammad Iqbal. And he's also the founder of the Iqbal Project, a collection of translation of Iqbal's poetry from Ur Urdu and Persian into English. It's something which is heavily needed. And inshallah, I'm really looking forward to how this project pans out. So thank you for joining us, bro. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the kind introduction. Thank you. No worries. I am, I am a big fan of your work for the short time that I've been looking at it. So you, you have my support. You have my endorsement. Um, so when it comes to Iqbal, Iqbal is known as the poet of the East. And within the Pakistani context, he's, he's quite well known. Although I think the legacy that he has is distorted there in that it's not a, a complete grasp of who he is. But tuners into this podcast, many of them will have no idea of who Iqbal is. And his name might have just been mentioned in passing. So from the get-go, you know, I'd like to ask you, who is Iqbal? And what were some of the major contributions that he had he has completed within his life? Well, that's a big question. Who who is Iqbal? Um, it's he he's he's an interesting character for for many different reasons because everybody kind of thinks they own him or they know him, and he kind of slips from many different definitions. He's as a figure, he's so huge that you can't confine him to anything. So if you call him a poet, philosopher, you're doing him a, a disservice. And if you call him a uh, you know, maybe uh, just a philosopher who, who wrote poetry or who dabbled in Persian and Urdu, you're missing out his contribution to the, to the work of metaphysics and to the work of philosophy that bridged between the East and the West. So we really, if you, if you let me try and sum him up. He, in many ways, is the last of the great Persian poets mm. from the beginning of Persian poetry. And I would say that goes back to about a thousand years. And he's also the first Muslim philosopher of modern times, really. He's, he's, he's a philosopher that we've never really had. And he bridges the gap between, in many ways, between Imam al-Ghazali and now. So he, he argues in many of his works that I'm continuing where Imam al-Ghazali left off. Mm. We, Imam al-Ghazali came along and he did what he felt like was a stagnant period. So he, he, he took the Muslim world up to date. And then we stopped after Imam al-Ghazali as if like we were done with philosophy, we were done with religion and, uh, and fiqh and everything. So Iqbal comes along and he's like, look, we have a thousand years where we didn't do much revivalism. And this isn't revisionism, this is revivalism. So Iqbal continues that from a philosophical perspective. And his poetry really, if you call him a poet, it's not really true. He doesn't really like poetry himself. He says many, many times. And he says, look, I use it as a vessel to explain my political ideas, mm -hmm. my philosophical ideas, my religious ideals. And if I could do it a different way, I would. So he's very constantly, actually, he repeats that how much he's against poetry. So to call him a poet philosopher, we have to have that caveat that he doesn't, 
he doesn't have the the flowery language of Persian poetry like Hafiz or, or Rumi, and uh, so he's not in the same category. Uh, you can also define him as a didactic poet, meaning he had a message to give with his poetry. So with each one of his verses, he's giving you a ghazal that is just jam-packed with symbolism, with, with motives, with, with messages that are really relevant to the time uh, that he was in and the time that we're in today. And he's, he's also unique in the sense that he crossed the border between the East and the West the way no one has in the last, I would say, 100 years, maybe, maybe even longer. The fact that he kids read in Turkey and Iran and in Algeria and Tunisia um, and in Pakistan and in India, that is a very unique position to be in. We don't have many poets. I mean, maybe if you think about it, maybe the last time this happened was maybe 500 years ago when you had Turkish and Arab poets that were coming across with, with trade and people reciting poetry. But for to have a poet who's been translated into Turkish and Persian and, and Czech and German and um, and Turkish and Arabic, it's, it's really unique. So he's not only, I would say, pan-Islamic poet, he's also globally recognized as well. And his work is, well, he used to be more known in the West, but he's, he's definitely a poet of the West, a philosopher of the West, who's kind of continued the, the work of the Islamic uh, tradition. So he really isn't just an Eastern poet. He's, he's definitely belongs to the two traditions. And we can come to that later, why that's an important caveat, because his, his whole idea was that I'm not going to sit in, in, in Hindustan and I'm not just going to preach to the same Muslims and Hindus that I'm, I'm, I'm amongst. His work really was about moving across West into the Muslim world and then into, into the West, uh, Western European world. Hmm. SubhanAllah. Um, a man of many feats. Um, the one thing I really love about Iqbal, which you mentioned, is Iqbal took on this project that Imam al-Ghazali took on. And for those who don't know, Imam al-Ghazali is one of the most prominent scholars in our tradition who wrote his famous masterpiece, the Ihya Ulum al-Din, the revival of the religious sciences, because he saw that Islam had become stagnant in the way it was being practiced. And for example, in today's age, um, we're living with the same problems, where Islam is seen as something which is just these acts of worship of these salahs and duas. And that same project is what was taken on by Muhammad Iqbal, also known as Allama Iqbal. And the book that he wrote, The Reconstruction of Religious Thought, is the, the name of the book really, it, it comes from Imam al-Ghazali. Like the Ihya al-Madin is almost the exact same name. So he takes on this project where he sees the problem of Islam being practiced primarily in the, you know, in, in the Indian subcontinent, but across the world as well. And he attempts through his philosophy to try to create this bridge of how we can we revive Islam. And I love that you said revivalism and not revisionism, because those are two different topics. He was trying to revive the tradition. Yeah. And when we look at him, we see that this is a man who was a polymath. And I, subhanAllah, I'm amazed at how he had mastered poetry, right? We forget that he was a lawyer, right? That's something is just... You know, in today's age, if you're a lawyer, that's your primary accomplishment. And you're already seen as being an elitist. But for him, it's not even mentioned because it's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of the things at the bottom. So he's, he mastered poetry. He mastered Persian. He mastered English, right? His English is far better than ours uh, to the point yeah, where right. we can't even read his books because of how difficult his, uh, how complex his language is. He had mastered the Urdu language and most importantly is that he created the ideology 
uh, that became Pakistan through his work. Um, and so those, I think, are some of the biggest, some of them. And he completed his PhD in a German university as well. So he had the Eastern education, but also the Western education. Um, and, um, you know, this, this brings me to the next question I wanted to ask you is when we talk about the legacy of Iqbal. And, you know, you touched upon how people in Algeria are reading him. Um, people outside of Pakistan, especially Iran, are reading him. But what, what is his legacy? Like, what is his true legacy? Not something that you'll find off of a simple Google search saying that Iqbal was read here and here. But what did he change? Um, did he have a role in leading up to the Iranian revolution? Right? Like, how, yeah. how, how influential was he? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. This before that, it's interesting that he was a lawyer because he uh, he he studied he studied in Cambridge. I think he graduated in 1907, and within 1908, he came to London and he passed a bar exam at one of the most prestigious um, uh, barrister uh, uh, um, Lincoln's at at, uh, at um, Middle uh, Temple, which is one of the most prestigious um, schools of law in the world, and he did in one year. And he went back to India, he opened up his own business, but he quickly gave up because he didn't like it. And he, mm. he, he knew what his passion was. And uh, he explains many times in his work, how much he disliked working for him. It was like a labor that you had to do to survive, to feed yourself. And he compares himself to Nietzsche often in saying he himself, I think he was also a lawyer, I think, and uh, how he himself disliked it. But you know, these great poets, they're, they're having to do this, uh, this dunya uh, related, to feed themselves. So this was his profession, but it didn't define him the same way Castro was a lawyer, if you can imagine, and uh, he led the revolution. So these great, these great men typically come from this very, you know, like, like Che Guevara was a doctor, but you know, you come from this, but this, this, this don't define you. So Iqbal's legacy is interesting because when he, when he, when he, before he moved to Europe, right, his, his poetry was very soft. It was very, he was writing children's rhymes and he was focusing on Hindustan. He was talking about, he, I think he even studied Sanskrit and he, he translated the, uh, some of the Hindu texts into Urdu. And so he was very focused on Hindustan. This is my home, this, these are my people. I'm gonna preach to not only Muslims, to the Hindus too. And I'm, I wanna wake up uh, on a different level. But when he came back from Europe, completely changed. He completely realized that, look, Hindustan, isn't 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 the final goal for me and i and i want to have an impact across the world and he saw the the events of the world taking place around him and he lived if you think about it he lived at a very painful time he was born 20 years after the siege of delhi in in which mm. the british completely humiliated and destroyed delhi from what it used to be which was a culture center of the muslims of the of the, of the mughals so to, to to be born so close to that period where you're you're reminded of the humiliation that as a muslim in india mm. I'm living on no, I'm not only a subject of an English crown, I'm living under their foot. I'm, I'm, I'm a subject and, and I am, your identity is to be oppressed. It's, it's like living as a Palestinian today. You, you recognize your position, your daily humiliation, and you speak not only their language, you're taught by their teachers. And so although many people say, well, I had this great love and, and this is a very simplistic biography. Typically Pakistani biographies say, look, he was, his teacher was an Englishman called Arnold, who he followed back to the UK, and he was a huge fan. Whilst Iqbal studied under many European teachers, he was always very skeptical of them. He mm. always saw them as tools of the empire, and he always questioned their, their, um, their motives. People don't know this. Iqbal wasn't just uh, running after the English and saying, please teach me, please teach me, please mm. teach me. 
he knew what he had to do. He knew they had something to work, learn. So he learned it, but he was always keeping distance and he was preferred to be amongst the company of Muslims because he was a very orthodox Muslim. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who's fooled by the glory of the Western civilization. And these points were important because these, these themes carried into his work continuously and, and, the, and the idea of slavery and subjugation it, it reflects constantly in, in his philosophical work and especially in the poetry stuff because when he came back into, into India, his work became much, much more uh, passionate and angry and zealous and he certainly mm. so focused and his themes don't really change. He was very consistent with, with, with his message and, and that's pretty rare to find in, in a poet for at least 30 years, you don't change your, your perspective, you just keep hammering the point in. So by the time 1920s, 30s come, he's seen the end of the Ottoman Empire now. This is the end of the Khalifa, which had begun with the Rashidun. So this is the first time the Muslim world didn't have a Khalifa. There was no, there, there was no teacher. There was no one body. There was no one, although many people didn't like the Ottomans and they didn't recognize their authority, globally, the Muslims recognized them as a representative. Even the Hindus, uh, even the Muslims of Hindustan recognized them and had allegiance to it. So now you're finding that the center is gone and you're left alone and you look across the Muslim world and you've been colonized continuously. And uh, 19, I think 1912 or 1917, Iran was being uh, invaded by the Russians and the, and the British. And for him, Iran had a very special place. Mm. So he's, he's surrounded by the Europeans who are just conquering one after the other. And, and he's himself in, in, in London and Cambridge and he's wondering and, is, and he's seeing what's happening. And he just wakes up and he thinks, this, this can't continue. Why has this come to be? And so he studies the reasons for it. And he's a historian too. And, and he then, this is, this forms the themes of Shikwa and Jawab Shikwa. He has, mm. Shikwa and Jawab Shikwa, although famous, if you think about it, they're probably the most simplest poems. Can you, can you just written. very, very, very quickly explain what Shikwa is and Jawab and Shikwa, what they're about? Yeah, so Shikwa, he wrote Shikwa, I think in 1908, literally the year he came back from, from England. And on the way back, you know, he, 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 you know, he reflected and he came back and he just, just broke out in this outcry of, of, of anger and, and passion. And he just, and it's not like any of his work. Shikwa is just a complaint to Allah. And uh, of course, people called him a kafir and said, how can you speak to Allah like this? You know, Allah doesn't, you can't connect him this way. This isn't, this is, you know, it's, it's just wrong. And so it's a, it's a the theme of reflecting on the glory of the Muslims and, and raising the, Kind of the rhetoric that Muslims were feeling at the time, you know, you hear all the complaints in the masjid and in the in the bazaars, and in, in private conversations, he just summarized them. He said, "This is what we're thinking collectively as a, as an ummah, but we don't really know if Iqbal really himself believed this. Mm. I mean, he he was kind of reflecting the what what the people are, what the Qoms is saying, what the people mm. are saying, and and there's a question why he delayed writing Dua Bishukwa between because some people argue he did it just to redeem himself because when he wrote Dua Bishikwa, people mm-hmm. were finding like okay now this is a response from Allah to the Ummah and now he's kind of okay he's corrected himself and so Dua Bishikwa, as I said is a response from God to the complaints of man and suddenly people said he's cool now he's fine he's 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 put himself in the position that he should be in and Iqbal only funny enough said a few decades later when I wrote Shikwa people called me a kafir because I spoke from the position of Allah. <laughs> but when I would, well, from the position of man, I'm a yeah. kafir. But when I write yeah. from the position of Allah, they call me a Muslim. So the irony wasn't lost on him. And he, and he, and he realized, but Shikwa and Jawab Shikwa are very simple poems. If you compare them to many of the other poems in, in Bangi Dara or Bala Jibril, 
they are probably it's more historical and and, it, and it's very thing that very simple simple to understand he's talking about uh, how we've lost our way as Muslims he's talking about the glory of the of the of the Arabs of the Persians of the Turks and how we used to be you know just brave warriors and and, and studious Muslims and faithful and then Joab is Allah putting us in our place saying yeah you were but what have you done now mm. so it's a very simple point but this is what has become known as and but if he wasn't the first to do it and, and it hasn't been the last to do it but this this theme really worked and Iqbal was launched to this huge huge position of uh, fame in his lifetime and after that he he just became bigger than his name mm. um but these but these poems are uh yeah i think they're iconic right so these are two of the poems that i translated uh early on in my project and and i found it interesting that so many translations miss so many critical uh stanzas from the original if you've only read the english you'll never realize this um some of them have been translated by non-muslims and and you notice the ones that they miss out are the ones which are more kind of more orthodox which are more reaching out to the heart of the of the muslim mm. and uh, so the, the the simplistic translations but you really have to understand he's he's a very orthodox muslim he wasn't mm. he wasn't kind of losing his way and having his doubts i agree yeah. and um I, i'm glad you brought up jawab and uh, jawabi shikwa because i was going to bring that up um but when, when i was in pakistan I, and i told you to this uh, right before we started recording is when I was in Pakistan, I was writing an uh, I was writing a book on basically my autobiographical account of my trip there. Um, inshallah, maybe within the year, maybe next year, uh, I'll get it published. But I dedicated inshallah. a chapter there to Iqbal, and I was trying to put his poetry, Jawab and Jawab Shikwa, in the book. And the translations that were in English were so poor that even me, as somebody you know who has a good you know education, a Western education. I could not even understand it or I had, I had great difficulty in it. Yeah. So I was doing the translations myself and people know me, know I'm an amateur poet. And so um, seeing that you've done translation of these are things we need to revive because, and I don't want to go too off on tangent on this, but we look at somebody like Maulana Rumi, right? And I think right here, I got his book too. Uh, Coleman Barks. It's, it's, like, it's, it's the essential uh, book, but um, that's how Rumi's legacy in the West has been so yes. well known is because it's been translated into English. And Iqbal considered himself a student of Maulana Rumi and his poetry, a lot of it, whether it's the books that you're translating, I mean, he wrote so much poetry that if we can revive it, he would become an icon in the West as well. Even if, you know, as what happened with Rumi, you kind of secularize him. Um, even if that was, then he would still be an icon in the yeah. West. And I think what your project is doing, hopefully, is just the beginning, inshallah. And we can have people who've mastered Urdu, mastered Persian and English and are remarkable poets so that we can get an accurate depiction of what he was trying to highlighting because the things you were talking about still exist today. Yeah. And like you mentioned, although Jawab and Jawabi Shikwa, which is again, a, a, the first one is a complaint to Allah of, why the Muslims are in a situation that they are uh, a period of colonization when they were, they are Allah's people. They are the ones who spread Allah's message everywhere. It's a complaint. And then he responds to that with the Jawabi Shikwa, which is Allah's response where Allah says, you, you aren't the people. Um, I wish I could quote some of the lines right now, but I, I don't remember them. Um, but Allah saying, you are not like the previous people that you, you guys really need to fix yourself. And, 
those problems are existed today. You look at Palestine, you look at Kashmir, you look at Somalia, all of these things, we consider ourselves to be the epitome of humans. But if we, this is, this is what I call, and I have a, like I completed my undergraduate in Islamic history. This is the darkest mm -hmm. moment in Islamic history. Never have things gotten this dark. It's my contention. The fact that we've been destroyed economically, we've been destroyed militarily, we've been destroyed. We, our societies are not even functioning. And so reading that poetry of Iqbal is just as important today as it was then. And really, we need to revive this. And this is why you're doing an excellent job uh, with, on, on this project, bro. Inshallah. It's, yeah, you've said so many interesting things. Firstly, the book you have, Colmar Barks, uh, there's better translations now, but the, interestingly, the way Rumi, the guy who translated Rumi uh, first was, was Nicholson, right? He's an English uh, Orientalist. Nicholson was the first to translate Iqbal, interestingly enough, wow. as well. So, although, so Nicholson made Rumi uh, accessible to the West and equally Iqbal, uh, was also becoming quite famous. So Nicholson spoke to Iqbal himself. He said, can I translate a Sada Hudi for you? And Iqbal was more than happy to say. So Iqbal gave him some notes, corrected his translations. So Nicholson brought his Sada Hudi first to the um, uh, European world and he became immediately recognized as a serious voice. So people knew in the 1920s, 30s who Iqbal was. If you were academic or intellectual in, in France, Germany, or England, you would know who Iqbal was. Now you don't know, right? So this is interesting. What happened with Rumi? Why it hasn't happened with Iqbal? Same people translated both of them, but one took off, one didn't. And, and I think this is interesting because Iqbal really, he's reviving something, he has a message. Rumi's message is because he's a, he's a mystic Sufi and you know, he's, he's, a, he's on a different plane of reflecting, he's quite layered, in, you know, his, his motives are different and, and the way he journeys through the heavens and his messaging is, you know, he's quite, uh, Rumi's, Rumi's very different. I mean, he's, mm. he's, not, he's not telling you about colonialism. Rumi is not telling you about improving your own hoodie directly. Rumi is spending hundreds of pages to get you to understand a basic philosophy, whereas Iqbal is hitting you with, with two lines and it just tells you, like, you know, mm. if you're a slave of the mind, it's one thing, but if you're a slave of the body, it's, you know, it's different. So Iqbal is giving you very prescriptive lines. This doesn't do so well with, with non-Muslim Europeans mm. who, who want to feel good about themselves reading secular True. poetry because Iqbal is unapologetically Muslim. Iqbal throws mm. in the name of Muhammad وسلم, constantly. Allah, he throws the names of all the prophets constantly. Mm. And he throws the name of Allah subhanahu wa and tahweed is in there. For him, Iqbal is a very orthodox Muslim. And so, so but also Sufis love Iqbal too, because mm. in many ways he was a Sufi. He, you know, he he was he so his father himself was a Sufi. Iqbal himself had association with the, with the, with the tariqah in, 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 in India at the time. But he wasn't a lyrical poet. He wasn't like Hafiz. He wasn't talking about wine and, and beautiful hair and of a woman and just, you know, this soft, beautiful kind of like metaphors you could interpret differently. With Iqbal, you can't mm. interpret differently because the second he pulls you in, this is what I like about Iqbal. He pulls you in with the concept of Saki and sitting in the Han, uh, in the Mahana, the wine house. Mm. And then you, you, you think, okay, this is kind of like Hafiz. This is kind of like Rumi. Let me mm. enjoy this. Yeah. Then the third line, he'll hit you. He'll just tell you you're nothing. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he'll make you realize that, look, I pulled you in with my beautiful Persian poetry, but now I'm going to tell you what is wrong with you. So when you and I read this as Muslims, we, we feel like, okay, this is speaking to me. I, I kind of want to know what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. But when you translate this into English and you give this to a, a non-Muslim, non it, it, it doesn't hit the same. And, mm -hmm. and I, so one, one of the reasons 
I think this is one of the reasons why Israeli Hudi kind of worked, but if you look at his other stuff, it's more serious. It doesn't have the same leverage because the colonials wouldn't appreciate Iqbal. But if hmm. you look at Iran, hmm. you asked about the legacy earlier, the revolutionary guard had memorized Iqbal. I mean, in, in 1979, they were sitting in parks, they were standing outside buildings. They yeah. could recite Iqbal because his lines were not like Rumi. This is interesting. Hafiz, by the way, has not always been this famous. Rumi has not always been this famous. In the last hundred years in Iran, Hafiz has been kind of alongside Ferdowsi, he's been, he's been pushed up as a national poet because it helps fight the, the whole idea of Arab uh, colonialism on yeah. Iran and they want to push the Persian identity. Yeah. So Hafiz was forgotten for almost hundreds of years, by the way. If you go wow. to Shiraz today, his shrine is the center of Shiraz and has a beautiful dome and, and columns and people are reciting Hafiz constantly. And 100 years ago, 150 years ago, he, he, it was a small tomb, overgrown grass, trees. No one went, no one knew, cared about Hafiz. For those he was forgotten for 500 years. And in the last 1910, 1920, they pushed him so much as this, he's the poet because he wrote Shahnameh and he's a Persian identity. Oh. And so they made him a new monument. So now when you think of Iran, you think of like, okay, they, they always love these guys. But no, in the, in the revolution, uh, they were talking about Iqbal. Iqbal was the man. He was the poet. Mm. Rumi was nobody to be seen. Hafiz was nobody to be seen. Because these guys are dealing with beautiful metaphors and gardens and women mm. and everything. And Iqbal wasn't doing this. He didn't. The only time he spoke about a woman was when he wrote about his mother when she passed away. This is, Iqbal didn't think about this stuff. He didn't, he didn't focus on, on, the, on these, these topics that he considered to be nonsensical. Mm. And interestingly, Iqbal really disliked Hafiz in the early part of his life. And, and he would uh, criticize him and he would say, he's a waste of time, don't study him. But then eventually as he himself matured, he, he saw the master of Hafiz's lyrical poems. And then I think he realized that Hafiz wasn't just talking about women. Sometimes it was about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Hafiz does mean you're, you're mm. a memorizer of the, of the Holy Quran. Hafiz wasn't just a wine poet. And so this is a whole different podcast, but yeah. so Iqbal became to appreciate Hafiz more and Saadi more and, and Ferdowsi and, and Atar and, but Iqbal was the revolutionary poet of the 20th century. His poetry was hugely read in Turkey, uh, in Algeria, in Tunisia, in Egypt. Um, when, you know, in, I wrote in one of my recent articles and this is in the book as well. I mean, this is why he was sung by Um Kulthum as, as a hmm. song in Arabic because he spoke about the loss of the Muslims. And, and, and in the 1967 war when Egypt lost, Iqbal was the, you know, you read him because he, he was important. He, he, he talked to you because who else in the last hundred years spoke about slavery and colonialism as a poet in Pakistan? Mm. You have someone like Faz Ahmed Faz, and you know he talks about that specific region. But he, Iqbal was talking about pan Islam, like he was talking about everybody, mm. and and he reflects on the importance of Arabs in Islam. So Iqbal is always saying, "Go back to Hijaz." He's not saying, "Go back to, go back to Kashmir." He's from Kashmir himself. He was a, his family was a Hindu Brahmin. So he was a Hindu before his family lineage is Hindu. Mm -hmm. And he, and he recognized that we all collectively, doesn't matter who we were, we have to go back to the desert of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu This is our destination. The caravan that I'm on, it needs to go back. And I want to take all of you with me. So for Iqbal, he was, he, you know, he said, he said, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the bell on the foot of the camel. And when the camel mm -hmm. moves, I ring. And, and he's saying, don't ignore this ringing of the bell listen to the bell and alight the, alight the caravan and come with me so we can all go back to Hijaz. For him, this was the goal. We should all go back to Medina, to Makkah. Mm. And how many poets spoke about this in the last hundred years? Nobody does this, right? 
So for Iqbal, the inspiration was people like Atar, who was a very prominent Sunni Sufi poet. And, and, and these are themes that he conveyed. And this is why Iqbal, I don't think we really take off the way Rumi has because Iqbal is hmm. welcoming you to Islam and bringing you in. And he's saying, come back to Islam, come back to Islam. And he's not made to be translated for snippets and for memes and you can quote some stuff. Hmm. So when I, was, when I was writing the book, this hit me and I, and I realized I don't want this to be just for Muslims. I want this to be wider from, it should be it's kind of like a dawah. It should yeah. speak to everybody. So I, I softened some of the, the translations and I said, there's nothing wrong with keeping Islam in it, but also welcoming people softly to Islam. Don't mm -hmm. make it like a, it's like a, you know, it's a very serious Islamic text because Iqbal wasn't, you know, Iqbal wasn't as serious. He was always smiling and joking and laughing and, and he enjoyed, you know, speaking and, and doing da'wah with everybody. So I, I took some of his poems that are quite short, beautiful results, and you can read them as just love poems. And that's okay because it, it could be about Allah, but it could be about somebody else. But it's very pure, simple, platonic poems that just makes you appreciate the, the idea of love. And love mm. isn't just bound to a person. Love for Iqbal is, is, is a love of Allah. So these poems, if you wanted to turn them into a meme, it's nice, it's cute, it's fun. Um, but the second you turn the page over, you'll see there's something more to it. So mm. the idea is it pulls you in um, with some soft poems, but then you want to read more and read more and then you understand, okay, Iqbal isn't just talking about love. When he talks about love, it's a capital L of love and this mm. is the love of Allah. And so my hope, my hope is that the book welcomes non-Muslims and non-Pakistanis and non-Iranians and uh, we, we, we pick up where Iqbal left off because his hope was that when Nicholson translated him in the 1920s, the, people don't realize that Iqbal wrote Persian poetry for two reasons. One was he, he found Urdu too limiting and he found Persian. Uh, it's interesting, Persian, what he writes in Persian, if you were a Pakistani, you wouldn't believe it. Because when mm. you read Urdu, you, you find him to be quite serious. You know, you read Bangadara and you're like, okay, Iqbal is telling us off constantly. Like he keeps reminding us how we failed in the, the rise of Islam or Hizr. Uh, and these are about the Ottomans collapsing. But in Persian poetry, he doesn't talk about this stuff. He doesn't talk about India, he doesn't talk about politics. He kind of he kind of starts dancing with words, and he and he becomes more like Rumi. He becomes more like Hafiz, and now he's giving uh, he's talking about Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's uh, qualities as a as a lover, and now he's entering this mysticism. Mm. So in the Persian poetry, he pulls you in in a whole different blanket. So when I was translating these Persian poems, you kind of start laughing. You think if only Pakistanis knew Iqbal was doing this, because we, we didn't understand. You know, we we just thought like he's a serious poet. He's talking about you know colonialism. But in Persian, he just jumps into this different river of, of metaphors. Um, so that's one reason why I wrote Persian. Second reason was he wanted the Orientalists to translate him into English. He knew nobody would translate him from Urdu to English. He knew. He knew the Persians were respected. He knew Persian has been carried over into German, English, French. So he said, if I write in Persian, my work will become English eventually. Mm. So Nicholson translated Iqbal. Um, Arbery is another Orientalist who translated Iqbal. And I have all of the translations, by the way, behind me. And uh, the horrible translations, they wow. not only do they have many, many errors, and Nicholson even had Iqbal correct him and he still has errors. So if, the, if he himself couldn't fix Nicholson, I mean, what chance do people after him have? And then eventually Iqbal kind of fell quiet. Nobody in the, U in the UK, in Europe really knows him anymore. I mean, you have mm. academics. So what, what's his legacy in Europe? It's pretty much gone. We mm. don't know him. We don't know him as anything except the poet philosopher of Pakistan, 
and Pakistanis claim him. And so when I started translating him, I said, look, if he, his goal was to become a voice in the West, he probably didn't think there would be so many Muslims living in the West where you and I live in the West. Hmm. Shouldn't we be reading him now? Shouldn't, if we don't understand Urdu or Persian, shouldn't we be reading him in English at least? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is when you translate something, um, you're, you know, it's an impossible task. You can't do it. So you bring your own self into the poem, into the poetry. So if Baal for me was just like, look, you can't academically translate him. You have to make, you have to make the reader fall in love with him. You have to feel the pain of Iqbal. And Iqbal has this continuous pain in his poetry that people don't understand typically. If you read his poems, you think he's just writing poetry. But if you read all of his work consistently, you feel like he's a, he's a man who struggled to find a friend in his life. He didn't, no one understood him. And in his poems, although he's ending, this is the thing like Iqbal, he ends most poems in a positive note. He doesn't mm. leave depressed. He always says to you, you're this, you're this, you're this, but then it's like, but you're also this, you're up here. Oh. You are the chosen Ummah. You are the, you are the, you're the people of Musa, you're the people of Muhammad, oh, you, are, you are the chosen people. And, and he tells you, you know, that through the blood of martyrs, we are the seeds that will uh, flourish in that blood. And he's talking about the blood of the Ottomans, oh, no, no. the blood of the Persians. He's saying, although you've become the, the blood on the soil, the garden will again blossom and you will become, oh, you are the scent of the, of the bud and you have to release the scent. So imagine you're the, the bud that's shut, he said open and come out and the bird will come back to the garden, the flowers will blossom and, and you will become the, 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 you know, the, the topic of uh, uh, discussion again in, in the world. Hmm. And, and he died in 1938 and he knew how bad things were, but he didn't know what was gonna happen. I mean, in many ways it's become worse. Hmm. And his message has disappeared. And, and, and this is what's depressing because we're now living in the West and we're reading translations of Rumi and, and, and other poets. And we just read them for fun. And we just hmm. think this is our legacy. And we, we feel proud that Orientalists have translated our poems yeah. into, into English. And we feel, you know, it's a badge of honor. Like Rumi is ours. No, I mean, they've taken Rumi. They've taken Umar Hayyam. So hmm. I said, Iqbal is somebody that we need to translate. We need to keep Islam within it. We need to keep the matches within it. And the only purpose for my translation was to help the revivalism of Islam in the West. Mm. Simple as that. I didn't want I didn't want people to be like wowed by the translation. I said, it has to move you. So what I've done is each of the poems in my translation have a purpose. Each of the poem makes you feel a certain way. It's, it's There's a theme of revivalism, of, of love for Islam, for Allah. And so the goal is by the time you finish the book, you should feel a sense of urgency, mm. which, is the, which is the bell that Iqbal was. So I'm trying to hopefully ring that same bell and say, he's ringing it now, but now it's in English. Mm. You can't say anymore that I don't speak Urdu, I don't understand. My parents talk about him, but I don't know Iqbal. So this should remove those obstacles. And so I've kept it in very simple English, but I've tried to keep the beauty of it. It's a rhyming translation. So everything, rhyming is important because you need a punch. Yeah. If you ever read Rumi or Hafiz, the reason that they work so well by Coleman Barks or anyone else is, you, it hits you and in, in Farsi and Urdu, you know, it's uh, when, when, you, when, when the rhyme finishes, it's like a thud, it hits you and you feel it. Mm. So when you do an academic translation, prose is beautiful too, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't punch you, it doesn't hit you. So you need that. So I said, I have to translate it with a rhyme and without changing the meaning. So it took me a long time, but I, I kept to the message. I didn't add new words. I didn't add new messages. Mm-hmm. I kept the message and the essence of it. 
And, and my, hope, my hope is that each of those poems um, kind of shakes you a little bit. So it's mm. not going to be a beautiful read where you just have coffee and you think this is a wow, he's mm -hmm. fun. You can do that, but the hope, hope is that it, um, it makes young, young Muslims and non-Muslims think about Iqbal as a serious voice with a message. And this is, again, I keep repeating this, but this is why he's so different from Rumi and Hafiz. He's not sitting in the garden of birds and, and wine and he's just saying, chill with me. Um, he's, 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 he's shaking you constantly. And, and this is why I think he's, he's so important for us. Mm, SubhanAllah, so many points were brought up. But to me, the, the kind of the central one, which I'm, which I'm, which I'm going to take from this is that he's not exactly like Rumi. And Rumi, I can see because I've read enough Rumi of how he can be interpreted by a Western audience. Like you mentioned of love, of yeah. especially his, uh, the metaphors on wine and stuff. But when you read Iqbal, this is, he's really putting Islam, like Islam is central yeah. to his, I mean, look, Jawab and Jawab Shikwa are completely Islamic, um, which we talked about. Um, he wrote a poetry called um, Iblis Ki Majlis Shura or the devil's advisory council, right? Talking about colonialism, how that destroyed the world. Um, he talks about Iblis and all the devils sitting at the table together. So deep, yeah. subhanAllah. Uh, Bali Jibril, the wing of Jibril. So uh, it's, it's central to who he is. And I think you're right when you say that it will be difficult for a Western, not difficult, but it will be more difficult than Rumi for a Western audience to read and kind of have that same type of love for. But um, I heard something very interesting from Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. He said in the coming futures in the next decades, he said he believes that English is going to be the future language of even the Muslim world in terms of the discussions and the academic uh, work. And so Iqbal's translation into English, if done proper, will also make people back home read it as well. And it will, it will revive a legacy like Rumi's or Hafiz, which was dead for hundreds yeah. of hundreds of years. And only now, it's been revived. And so this is, although you've begun this project, this is going to take a team. It's going to take multiple translations. It's going to need to be circulated. And even if he's just revived within the Muslim community, that's more than enough. More than yeah. enough. The fact that most people don't even, even though Iqbal is a unique name, right? I can't think of any Islamic intellectual in our entire history that, that has a name Iqbal, which is prominent. Right. Because, you know, you can have yeah. names. Um, and so that's why I think that his name should be in everybody's mind, because I only found out Iqbal two years ago, even though I am Pakistani. And yeah. so this project um, and this leads to kind of my last topic, which you've touched upon, is reviving the legacy of Iqbal. And as we mentioned, he is a polymath. So we, 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 we talked a lot about his poetry and you did you did specialize in his uh, in his poetry by writing these translations. But my primary concern with Iqbal is his political philosophy and his understanding of when he saw the crisis of the Muslim world and he began to identify it in his reconstruction of religious thought. And out of all of the quotes, out of all of the poetry that I've read from him, this is the one quote which stands out for me. He said, religion is not, the, religion is not a set of beliefs, a set of ideas or feelings but rather it's the entire expression of the human being. And I think that is a complete articulation of what Imam al-Ghazali was trying in his uh, revival of the religious science. And I'll give you an example. Before Ramadan started, 
I uh, I reread uh, well uh, I read uh, Imam Al Ghazali's book on fasting, and I've been fasting my whole life, right? And I know how to fast. You know, you, you fajr starts. You know, you don't eat or drink until maghrib, and then you eat, and that's your fasting, and do some sort of ibadah. But when I read Imam Al Ghazali's book, this is what he said. He said fasting is also fasting from negative thoughts. Fasting is fasting from backbiting. Fasting is abstaining from all of these bad actions of saying these bad words. And so now what he's done is he's, he's revived Islam to the point where it's, your, it's the entire expression of who you are, the way you speak, the way you dress, the way your manners are. And it's not just your salahs or your duas. And I think that's central to what Iqbal was trying to do. And in many cases today, in many of the Muslim countries today, and also for uh, Muslims living in the West, this is the sort of revival that we need through his poetry. Um, but on this topic of trying to make Islam the entire expression of who you are as a human being. SubhanAllah. I, yeah, I couldn't say it better. Absolutely. A lot of people don't know about this orthodoxy of him and his closeness to Islam. People call him a Sufi and then people, some Sufis call him a, you know, he's too Salafi. And so he's always between these this, this modes of which one is he? And some people say, well, he hates Sufism because he criticizes it. Some people say, well, he's Sufi because he criticizes the, the, the mullahs and the sheikhs. Hmm. It's because he's calling out all of these hypocrites and he's, he's, he's aligning all of you. And um, let me let me find a point. You you speak. Let me find this point. I'm going to find one translation for you um, okay. that I think it's it's quite beautiful and it sums up um, one, one of the complaints that sure. he had. In, in, uh, in, um, in Jawabi Shikwa, which is Allah's response to the human being who complains to him, he has one line, which I know I'm going to butcher, but it was one of my favorite lines in the, in the in poetry. He said, and he's, this is Allah speaking to the pre- people, saying, um, your Kaaba, your religion uh, is one, if only the Muslims could also be one. Everyone, subhanAllah. That's, that's a beautiful one because I think in, yeah, he, in, the, in Shikwa, I think he raises the question and, and the poems are almost one by one response to each stanza, right? Mm. And I think in the original Shikwa, he writes uh, similarly in parallel, uh, we're still the same. We're still the Ummah of Muhammad. We're yeah. st- there's still one Quran. There's still one Jibreel. So arguing that we haven't changed and Allah responds, yeah, okay, but you don't really want. Um, I found I'm just gonna read a just a line from this poem. Um, this is from I think it's from Bangidara. Um, Subhanallah. So with the ball, everything is about a message, and he and he he's he's almost writing like he's revealing secrets of the of the self, not only of, of the hoodie, which we haven't really spoken about, which is central to his, his work, um, but he's also trying to reveal to us how to reflect on on, on our life. So he writes in his poem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Once more I received the message to wail and weep tonight. O halt, O wanderer, maybe another hardship is in sight. Drown a little if you can into the depths of destiny and fate. As a sword leaves its sheath, I left the battlefield in such state. On the mosque's walls, someone dared to write. These fools began to prostrate when it was time to fight. Leave my, dest- my destitute state is not some playful thread. When the cup to me was passed, the gathering had all fled. For the Muslims of Hind, Iqbal gave his fire and glow. Though he was an easy being, only the fools enjoyed his show. 
it was for, for this Iqbal that I had searched endlessly. And after many attempts, I caught this mighty falcon finally. And subhanAllah, there's so many layers of what he's saying. Like in the beginning, he's talking about how he's worried this revelation of this, this poem is going to be another depressing one. And then, then it's like, but I'm a sword leaving the sheath and I'm going to, I'm going to cut you. And then he cuts you by saying, we're, we're worshiping and prostrating when it's time to fight. And he's not saying don't pray. He's saying, don't be those empty rhetorical Muslims who are just always doing Allah Akbar. Mm. And, and, you know, we are the Muslims of action. Our khudi needs to be polished and, and constantly disciplined. We need, we need to know what to do when. And so equally, he criticizes uh, Sufis in many different poems who are always just running around talking about the maqam and how high they've reached it. And especially mm. today, right? We have this modern pseudo-Sufism in the West where everybody's like, I'm a Sufi, I'm a Sufi. Mm. And, uh, and Iqbal just like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't tolerate this at all. Like, he just calls you out. And so this philosophy of just reminding you of who you are, it's, it's, it's really, it's really um, humbling to you. And, and he himself recognizes his own weaknesses, um, but he's always talking about discovering yourself. And I, and I find that really interesting that such reflection of, of the self is something we don't do anymore. Mm. We're so focused on imitating other people um, that he, we, we don't really think about this. Um, but I, I, let's not talk about Hudi, that's a whole different co- concept. Mm-hmm. But, but one, one thing I want to touch upon, which yeah. I just learned from what you said, is that it, within his poetry, now I'm starting to re- reread all of his poetry right now, where um, the beginning is always dark, but it always has a positive ending. Yeah. For example, I, me- I mentioned uh, Iblis Kimajil Shura, so the Devil's Advisory Council. And this is an eye-opening, eye-opening book. Um, and it, it reminds me of, I don't know if you know C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that where, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So he has yeah. the, the Iblis is there on the table with all of the other devils. And they're talking about during that period of how we instilled nationalism, colonialism, imperialism within the people. And they're ironically saying, look how great the world has become because of it. Yeah. And they're all laughing, joking around. And then Iblis stops and he says, but there's one group of people who yeah. I'm terrified about the people who wake up in the middle of the night to make wudu and to pray to their Lord. And he says, yeah. they have a sword, which is uh, and I'm paraphrasing that is like, that he's like, yeah, they have a sword that is very sharp, but they've always kept it in its sheath. Like they're not using it. And then yeah. at the ending, he says that this is the Muslims. SubhanAllah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. That's a, that's a beautiful one. Yeah. The, the way, and this is, this isn't nobody ball. If you, if you know the Western canon, you'll see so much of the influences, um, you know, for him, um, Milton's Paradise Lost is, is a huge, huge influential book on his work. And, uh, and he does the same with, with, with Goethe and Nietzsche. And so he's, he's kind of, he's responding to the Western philosophy and literature now. So in many ways, when you say he's, he's imitated the West, he's not. He's, mm. you know, the way Goethe, people don't know, he, he, was, um, he was obsessed with Persian and Rumi. And so Goethe even started learning Persian. And you, if you go to the museum in Germany, um, you see his notebooks and he's writing Persian. Like this German is, you know, so would you say Goethe was copying uh, Hafiz? Mm. No, he wasn't. He was, he was respecting and appreciating what he did. So like body the same thing. And so with what you just mentioned, that's, that's a beautiful point because he does the same thing in um, his own poem. Uh, he, he writes a poem called Paradise uh, Man. I think Paradise Lost as well. And uh, he, he had planned to write a full volume, which was on the same structure as Paradise Lost, but he never could finish it. Mm. Um, but Iblis is also interesting because if you look at the, the poem Jibril um, um, and Iblis and yeah. this is the poems in the book 
you you see how he treats Iblis. It's not just uh, this this dumb figure who doesn't know what he's doing, and you only throw stones at him. He gives mm. him respect and understanding, and he explains to you how you need to understand and master this this devil and how he, he'll get you. And 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 in one of the poems, he says, um, "Iblis is has the audacity to say to Allah that although you you uh, gave birth to to, to Adam." You know he'll grow old in my lap, and you know this is the, the audacity to Iblis to say to Allah that He's yours, but He will die with me. And you know, so Iqbal mm. is very aware of this, 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 this dynam, dynamism of Shaitan and, and 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 Islam. So he reflects constantly. So he kind of gives almost this respect to Iblis that you know we don't typically Muslim give to Iblis. Mm. We don't talk about him. We don't want to address him in any way. But Iqbal he brings him in and is like, you need to know who your enemy is and. And this this is a level of revivalism that you need to understand. What what does it mean to be an active Muslim? Like you said in Ramadan, it's negative thoughts. Where where this coming from? It's not just abstaining from food. It's about it's about promoting a positive understanding of what it is that cultivates these negative thoughts inside of you. So Iqbal kind of gives you a very prescriptive poetry, and this is why it's so important. He gives you not only the complaints and why you're why you're why you're struggling. He'll tell you how to fix it, mm. right? This is people always say to people, "Well, you just keep complaining. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do?" Iqbal, Iqbal gives you a whole structure. His themes typically are: this is the problem, this is the uh, uh, this is the solution, and this is what you can be. So Iqbal gives you the whole thing, mm-hmm. like A, B, C. So you can never mm-hmm. accuse Iqbal of just being a, a skeptic and who's just making you think about bad things and mm-hmm. say everything is horrible. He gives you a detailed philosophy of the hoodie, like I said earlier. Which he lists. I mean, he has a whole book on it called Isra'i Hudi. Learn to reflect on yourself only through that. And then he has a book called Behudi, um, uh, which uh, which is focusing on the reflection of yourself as a community. So he says, focus on yourself as an individual, because he recognizes individualism on its own is dangerous because it's a very European idea. Mm-hmm. Then he says, but as a community, you need to focus as a community. So he has a second book on how to become a community. So he's giving you very prescriptive mm-hmm. guidelines, right? And this is why his work as a philosopher is so important because this is why you never find his depth in anyone else in in in, in the last I would say a few hundred years. He's, mm. he's a very unique person in the, in that sense. Subhanallah, and um, you know just 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 before we wrap up, um, when we talk about the legacy of Iqbal, um, we've talked about how remarkable he was as a poet, as a uh, as a philosopher, as a lawyer as a man who created the ideology of the, of the nation of Pakistan. Um, but he was so much more bigger than that. We look at the, the Zionist problem right now we're dealing with. Um, during, during the wars of the 20th century in Palestine, the, there was an Arab conference in which he was invited to give a lecture. And they wanted to hear his perspective on the matter of what we can do to solve this question. So, so he was involved in international affairs. The king of Afghanistan said, I need you to reform my education system here. Yeah. So this was a man who was honored by everybody in the world. Yeah. And um, uh, if, if you want to just quickly add on to that, then I, I will say our conclusion. You're absolutely right. He, he became more into politics later part of his life. He was in the London conference twice. He came to deal with a question of uh, you know, the, the Indian um, colonization of the British. So he became political at the end of his life. He, he avoided it as much as he could. But he he wrote about it and then he became involved. Um, and we know how he supported Jinnah and, and Pakistani ideology. But you're right, he was in Afghanistan. He spent a considerable amount of time in Afghanistan looking at Afghanistan as a, as a problem. He 
his his involvement really kind of ended abruptly because he had so many more plans. You know, he was being invited. Um, um, I'm trying to remember where which of the countries he was invited. I, I don't think he actually ever ended up in Palestine. He was invited mm-hmm. to the Middle East, um, and he never could make it. He was planning to go back to France again, and his health um, became became worse. And um, and just, just I, I round up on my side as well. It's his his work really took a very somber tone by the end of his life. His his last mm-hmm. book, um, The Gift of Hijaz, um, he started writing it because his goal ultimately was to do to do Hajj, to go and see the. The tomb of the of the beloved prophet, mm-hmm. and so he started writing this book. People don't know this. He wrote the gift of Hijaz because he said, "When I come back from doing Hajj, I'll publish this book. It will be the gift from the Hijaz to the Muslims of the world." And the book left was left incomplete because he passed away uh, um, in 1938, um, quite unexpectedly, and and this would have been. And, and then the book has a very, a lot of people criticize him and say the book is unoriginal. He's out of ideas. Iqbal, the great Iqbal suddenly is exhausted. We're, there's nothing new in, in the gift of Hijaz, mm-hmm. but they missed the whole point because by that point, what he was doing was, it's like almost he knew this was the end of his life. He summarized all of his works into one book. He wasn't giving uh-huh. anything new. He was kind of like, you know, like as a teacher, he's saying, okay, now let me, give you the cliff notes let me give you the witching to know don't worry about all of these books i'll mm-hmm. give it to you in one book and and the, and the poems in the book has a has a very somber tone of somebody who knows they made peace with themselves they know mm. my time is finished and there's sadness in the poems and but he's giving you essentially the, the summary of all his life's work and this book it remains incomplete obviously um and it's, it's a least known book people don't really read it but mm-hmm. it's it's really a beautiful book and and in the Persian poems, which I haven't really touched upon, they're very special for Iqbal. His most favorite book was Zerbe uh, Ajam, um, uh, which is the, the Persian poems. And he says a few times in his books, if you want to know my secrets, go read this one book. This was his dearest book. So this is this is the only Persian book that I really touched upon in my book. I picked up mm-hmm. some of my favorite poems from that and translated those into English. Um, and my goal was that I would do Urdu first and then I would do an English, a Persian translation of the Persian works. Uh, but I couldn't help bring those poems into this one book as well because it kind of rounds it up for you and said, this this is the beginning introductory Iqbal you need to know. And inshallah, once you know this one book, which is which I call Ghazi in the Garden, then inshallah, I'll do a second version and a third mm. version okay. um, to just hopefully bring that across, mm. inshallah. Inshallah. So uh, just, just as a concluding note, can you talk about some of the books, the projects you're working on, and uh, a release date, because um, that's I know that's that's being anticipated by many people. Yeah, inshallah, I have planned to finish it in. Uh, I saw I started a year ago. I plan to finish. Plan was to finish it in November. It never happened. Um, and then I, people kept giving me new poems, saying you should include this poem, and then this one, and then this one. So I kept continuously translating more poems. And even now, there's more poems in my mind I want to translate, but I'm going to stop. Um, so, inshallah, inshallah, the, the pre-orders will open next week. Inshallah. inshallah. And I'm hoping that... So, I'm self-doing, I'm self-publishing, I'm self-printing. So, everything, I'm doing end-to-end, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So, inshallah, I'm hoping in the next month or two, inshallah, you should have it in your hands. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just the beginning. And, and I said to myself, I won't do it again because... 
it I did it during the lockdown when I wasn't working. So I literally had 24 hours a day. Mm. So I spent I spent 12 to 14 hours a day only doing this, nothing else. So now so now that I'm working, I have to have a full-time job and then do this. But my goal is I after this book, I will focus on the Persian stuff. Mm. And I'm also looking at Ghalib as a poet as well, because I really respect him for his Urdu poetry. And I think Ghalib needs to come into the West as well. And alongside Rumi, we need this. We need it. We need Rumi, Hafiz, we need Iqbal, we need Ghalib. Yeah, we need Faz, Ahmed Faz. We need to bring all of his poets to the Pakistan and diaspora and the West mm. to the to the new readers who want to know what the East has. Because we need, we have, you know, we have Shelley, Keats, we have Homer. We have all the Greek works. We have all the European works. We have Goethe and Nietzsche. We have Shakespeare. We need, it, we need a whole shelf of our poets in English done by us with where the Islam is within it, where the tradition is within it, and we don't take it out. So inshallah, this will be, this will be a long, lifelong, uh, lifetime project. But um, I'm, also work, I'm also a photographer, so I'm also working on some books on Iran and Cairo. And I also want to show people the beauty of Islamic architecture. So I'm working on some of those books at the same time. Um, so inshallah in the next few years and, and now with the whole thing in Palestine as well there's there's so much there's so much we can we can we can do and so I'm working on another book which is about history of European colonialism um, summarizing all the all the all the history and the crimes <laughs> of the Europeans in the east so so maybe we'll have a separate podcast about that but there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff to reflect on and this yeah. is all connected by the way mm-hmm. the idea is that we need to be like Iqbal. We need to understand that we are Western. We are living in Europe and the US and Canada. We can't neglect the canon of the West. I say this all the time to Muslims in the West as immigrants, don't, don't look away from the Western canon. Don't just say, I'm a Muslim. I'm only gonna read the Quran and the Hadiths and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You need to read the Western canon and understand it. Then can only you elevate yourself in a position to become somebody worthy of doing something, right? So study everything you have around you, study our own culture. And this is what we need for Muslims like you and me to be well-rounded, educated in Western canon, Islamic um, theology and inshallah, our own literature as well. Mm-hmm. Inshallah, inshallah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this, this project. Um, it's, it's something which is heavily needed and you have my support. You have the endorsement of my podcast. Whenever oh, it's released, so whenever it's released, you want to do the book, uh, the book review. By all means, we will do it. Um, and this is something which um, I hope people can take away. And um, as, a, as, a, as a closing note, I don't know how many times I said as a closing note, but um, for those who want to know more about Iqbal, my recommendation is there's a documentary called Iqbal, Poet of the East, on the, the website called Alchemia dot com a and al's alchemy i'll put it in the link as well um we talked about iqbal's book the reconstruction of religious thought but it's a very difficult book to read and um you most likely will not finish it um uh what what, what would you recommend to readers um or there's, listeners yeah there's 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 two books i would recommend my favorite translation of iqbal is uh by a professor um, spencer mir He's, a, he's an American Pakistani professor, book called Tulip in the Desert. Mm-hmm. It's a small volume of his poems, very small, but the, the, the notes, the explanation, they're excellent. It's, it's probably the best translation of Iqbal that's ever been. So mm-hmm. I, I was, I've been speaking to this professor for a year now. And so some of his work uh, notes have come into my book. 
So I'm continuing what he's kind of left off. So he's given me his notes and his left unfinished work. And may Allah give him a long life. He's quite old now. So he's, he stopped his work with Iqbal. So I'm hoping to continue what he started. And then, so that, so that's called Tulip in the Desert. It's on Amazon. And the second book is called um, Gabriel's Wing, which is the same name as Iqbal's book, Bala mm-hmm. Gabriel. This is by Anne-Marie Schimmel, a German Orientalist. And this book is probably the best book on Iqbalic, Iqbal's philosophy and his works. This book is very hard to find, um, unless you're in Pakistan. But um, I, I, have a, I have a lot of copies of this book. I, have, I bought a book for my own research. So if anybody's interested, just message me. I can ship one to you. Um, I was hoping he set up a book of Iqbal's bookstore and I would have all the books. So I have, <laughs> I have copies of this. So I'm plugging myself in, but this isn't for profit. I just want to spread his philosophy. So I have this book called Gabriel's Wing. If you guys want, want this, it's, it's the only one I would recommend. I would say stay away from all those Pakistani uh, translations by ex-colonels and, and generals who, who retire and they write about Iqbal. And, and I, have, I have a whole row in Iqbal back there and, and it just repeats the same stuff. Anne-Marie Shimmel was amazing. She spoke Sindhi, mm. Punjabi, Persian, Turkish, Arabic, Urdu, Persian. So she, she sums up Iqbal like the way no one else has. Mm. And she fell in love with him in the 50s. And, and she, she's been awarded so many awards by the Pakistani government. I mean, she's a, wow. she's a pleasure. SubhanAllah, if you don't know Anne-Marie, no. her books on Rumi are amazing. I, ha- I have one here that I've been reading currently. This is called I Am Fire, You Are the Wind. Um, mm. I am wind, you are fire. And, uh, and by the way, this is the tulip in the desert I mentioned. This is the book on Iqbal. It's quite thin, but it's and very the author? Good. This is um, uh, Mustanzir Mir. Okay. Um, Mir. I'll, I'll give you the name. So this is the Iqbal book I recommend. Okay. <laughs> inshallah. Okay. inshallah. Jazakallah khair, bro. I really appreciate it. And the day will come, inshallah, where hopefully, inshallah, the day will come where um, my brother will be one of, if not the leading Iqbal scholars in the world in the realm of his poetry. And uh, hopefully, you know, decades from now, we can have the mass Muslim diaspora and even the non-Muslim diaspora reading inshallah. his poetry, inshallah, and taking care. So yeah. with that, Jazakallah khair, bro. I really appreciate it. To everybody who's tuning in, I encourage you to do more research on Iqbal. Um, the easy, easiest is the documentary that I mentioned, Iqbal, a poet from the East just so there's some level of familiarity so that before you buy Brother Zarar's book, you have an idea of who he is, inshallah. <laughs> I, wrote, I, I wrote a really long introduction so <laughs> for the book because I felt like a lot of people don't know who he is. Yeah. So, I, so I summarized Gabriel's wing, wing, the book I mentioned. I compressed all of that book into an introduction, inshallah. So that should give people a, a good understanding of his, his, his themes, his philosophy, um, his mission in life. Um, so that should be a good, oh, good opening, inshallah. Um, we need oh, to understand yeah. him, right? Iqbal is not just for fun. He, there's, there's a purpose to him. Hmm. So inshallah, that carries on. Inshallah. And thank you so much for hosting me. I, I, I love the enthusiasm and the, and the work you've done. I've seen some of your other videos and subhanAllah, uh, you're very well learned and may Allah give you more and more knowledge and you continue I mean, your work. I mean, likewise. Inshallah, let this be the beginning of a, of, of a close relationship, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Everybody take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.